So what is it about Metro that visitors love and locals hate? No matter what city you live in, the favorite local sport is complaining about the transit system. Whether that's Chicago or New York or Peoria, wherever you are, people hate the transit system. And it's because they have to rely on it every day. Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode five of the Trip Hacks DC podcast. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or see the show notes from this episode, you can do that over at triphacksdc.com slash podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by the Trip Hacks DC Guide to Washington, D.C. ebook. The new edition of the book is now available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. If you want to check it out, you can find it by searching for Trip Hacks DC on Amazon. Today, I am joined by Matt Johnson, and we are going to be answering some of the most frequently asked questions that I get asked about the Washington, D.C. metro. Matt is a transportation planner who has lived in the area since 2007. While D.C. is his adopted home, he originally hails from Georgia. He works for the Montgomery County, Maryland Department of Transportation as a project manager, helping to deliver bike and pedestrian projects. He also writes for the local urbanist website, Greater Greater Washington, and tweets at at Trek 29. So, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. It's good to be here. And, um, you know, you, I think a lot of people consider the local metro guy, metro expert. One of a couple, I think. Okay. And it's not just the D.C. metro. As far as I know, you have ridden, is it correct to say, every subway and metro in the United States? Yeah, I've ridden um, almost every rail transit system in the United States. So the uh, I'm, I'm missing a couple of the new ones that have opened um, in the last, like, year uh, I've been, been on a couple, but I'm working on checking those off as I get a chance. And you've been in Washington, D.C. for a decade, so you've been riding Metro for a while and know a thing or two about the int- intricacies and the quirks of the system. So we'll get into that uh, during the conversation. But the sort of idea behind this episode is that Metro is something that I know a lot of visitors want to know about. And I know that because I have some videos on the Tripex D.C. YouTube channel And by far, the most viewed videos are all about Metro. So this is definitely something that people are interested in. They're trying to find answers to. They're trying to learn how to ride. And I went through those videos, and I went through the comment section, and I found some questions that get asked all of the time. And so I thought, you know, video is not a great way to address those questions a lot of times, but this seems like a perfect opportunity. The first question is, um, you know, about the way that the fares work. So in one of my videos, I talked about how, you know, the the amount you pay for your ride depends on how far you go and what time of day it is. And one question that a lot of people ask me is, why don't we just do it like New York City and have one price, one fare? That's a good question. And that's a question that locals ask, too. And there there actually is a debate about that um, in the region as to whether this is the right approach to it or, or not. And what I would say is that personally, I like fairness. Uh, if I were going to be taking a taxi from... You know, here across downtown, it wouldn't be very expensive. If I was taking a taxi from here out to the suburbs, it would be very expensive. And if I were to say take a taxi to, to Pittsburgh, it would be really expensive. We wouldn't, we don't think it's equitable to say all taxis should be the same price. We don't think it's this, it would be fair to say that all plane rides should be the same price. Because what would happen is actually if we were to make Metro a flat fare, uh, the price of Metro would, would be higher than it is now for most people who are used, most of the tourists especially who are going to be using it. Um, we have very low fares for the in in the city trips. You can travel off peak from across most of downtown for two dollars, which is the same as the bus fare. Um, if we were to make Metro a flat fare, in order to keep the 
keep it revenue neutral, the fare would probably be closer to three or three twenty-five. So yeah, it would be getting more expensive for some people. It would be getting cheaper for other people. And personally, what that means is we would be subsidizing these trips from the suburbs, people who are coming in from Shady Grove or Glenmont or Huntington, at the expense of making trips more expensive for people who live in the central city and who aren't using as much of the transit system. And I can guarantee that if New York had the, the functionality to charge fares by distance, they probably would. But they just have an old fare system that, that you put drop used to drop a token in and, and get on. Of course, I have the Metro card now, but that's that's why. So that's that's really interesting. And I think what I hear you saying is that it's really the commuters, the local commuters who are paying the high fares. So if you live really far away in Maryland or really far away in Virginia and you work downtown and you ride Metro during rush hour, you're the one who might be paying $5 or more for your Metro ride. Right. So I live in the city, but I work in the suburbs. And my fare, uh, if I didn't have a pass, would be $5.40 at rush hour. But for visitors, they're going to mostly be taking short rides. And so for them, it's actually advantageous to have the system set up the way that it is. Yeah. If you're just going from your hotel somewhere in like the, the Golden Triangle area over to Smithsonian or you're, you're going to Monuments on the Mall or going to the art museums, you're probably only going to be paying 2 to 250 for your trips, even at rush hour. It's, it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, I, I can um, confirm that because I both live in the city and uh, work in the city. Obviously, I'm down on the National Mall a lot giving the tours. And when I ride the metro from my home to one of the stations near the National Mall, it costs either $2 or $2.25, depending on whether it's uh, peak time or not. And so can you tell us a little bit about what this peak system is? Because I think this is something that confuses a lot of people. You know, when is peak? What is peak? What does that all mean? So Metro is not the only system in the country that has distance-based fares, but Metro is the only system in the country that has both distance-based fares and time-based fares, which just adds an extra level of complexity. So not only are you paying for your trip based on how far you're going, it's also a different price based on the time of day. And the way those times are are, are calculated is basically all day on weekends and ho- on federal holidays, and you have a, what's called the reduced fare, which is the cheaper fare. You also have the reduced fare during the middle of the day and in the evenings. But during rush hours on weekdays, there's what's called the regular fare, which is the the rush hour style fare. And it's charged from opening until 9.30 a.m. So if you enter the system between when the system opens and 9.30 a.m., you pay the the rush hour fare. And if you enter the system between, I think it's uh, 3 o'clock and 7 o'clock in the afternoon, you pay the rush hour fare. So there have definitely been times when I've been getting on the train at Rockville at the end of my day uh, and it's like 6.58, and the train's not coming for six minutes, so I'll just wait until 7.01 and enter, and get. And I'll save $2. Basically, I'll save about $2 by waiting two minutes in the, in the mezzanine, and I still catch the same train that I would have caught before because it wasn't coming right away. Yeah, I'm rarely in the metro at 7 o'clock because I'm usually giving a tour at that hour, but I have on days I'm not giving a tour seen that phenomenon firsthand, and so... I know what you're talking about. And I, I think if my mental math is correct, that means that approximately eight hours of a typical weekday is uh, regular or peak fare. So it sounds like it's pretty tough to avoid, you know, unless you were really trying to avoid it. You're probably going to wind up, you know, at some point during the trip riding uh, during one of those times. And for most most of your listeners who are just doing touristy things down on the mall or not going too far away, the difference is going to be like 25, maybe 50 cents because the, the base fare during the off-peak time is $2.00. 
and the base fare during the rush hour period is $2.25. So it's not a big difference. So for me, I live at DuPont Circle. If I need to go to Union Station, for example, that's a $2 trip off-peak. It's a two twenty five trip during the during rush hour. It's not a big difference that you're going to notice. So one, one thing that I tend to advise people is to avoid riding during rush hour, not because of the price, but because it's just crowded and unpleasant. And this is especially true if you have a stroller or you have small children or you're coming from the airport and have a suitcase, although sometimes that's unavoidable. Um, so, you know, it is worth trying to avoid rush hour, but not for the money reason, more for the um, convenience of it. Right. Although I will say that the rush hour crowds are, are pretty concentrated. Like the, the, the fare period lasts until, say, I said 7 p.m. in the end, but most of the trains are not that crowded at 7 p.m. But at 6 p.m. or 5.30, they're, they're pretty busy downtown. Okay, fair enough. So you, you talked about some of the hours and, you know, the time that the system opens. And so let, this kind of bleeds into the next question that I get a lot is, why isn't it 24-7? Isn't Washington, D.C. a big city? Isn't New York City subway 24-7? So what's, what's going on? Why do we close down and why don't we run 24-7? I mean, Metro closes down for the same reason that the restaurants in your hometown close down at night. There are, I think, four subway systems in the United States that operate 24-hour service. Um, one is in Philadelphia, two are in New York, and, and one is in Chicago. And it's only part of the Chicago system. So... In San Francisco, in Los Angeles, in Miami, in Atlanta, in Seattle, those are all places where the transit system closes down at night. And in fact, most of the Chicago system closes down at night. Really, the, the, re- the reason that the system closes down is because there's, there's not enough demand to keep it open. And the system has to do maintenance. There, there has to be, there's work that needs to be done on the tracks. There's work that needs to be done in the stations. And that really can't happen while the system is open. So it needs to happen at some time. And that happens at night when the system is closed. So it allows time for Metro to rebuild, but it's not inconveniencing that many people because the system is closed. Uh, the, the ridership is very low. But I would say that when the system is closed, um, there, depending on where you're going, there are still options because we have some bus routes that operate pretty close to 24 hour service. In most of the most of the corridors that have a lot of trip density. So, for example, if you need to get to Silver Spring from downtown, the, the 16th Street line and the Georgia Avenue lines both operate pretty close to 24 hours. But the system runs. There are ways to get around if you don't have a car or don't, don't have access to a car, even when the metro is closed. So that that sounds kind of like um, I forget what it's called, the night tube, or you know, some some other big international cities. They'll replace the subway or metro with a bus at night, so that you can still get around uh, even if you don't. Uh, actually ride on the subway or the metro. And, and you know, Washington, D.C. has not always had a reputation of being a 24-hour city. I think in the 60s and 70s, uh, it really had this reputation of, like, you know, white-collar, people go to work, and then they get home, and they go to bed, and that's it. Um, nowadays, we have a lot more restaurants and nightlife, and so people are actually out uh, partying and such, especially on the weekends a little bit more. But it's really not um, on the same scale of New York by any means. So another question that I get asked, and I really want to get your opinion on it because I struggle with this one more than any of the other questions, and I think this one gets posted the most uh, anyway, is what is an unlimited ride pass? Should I buy it? And how do I get it uh, onto my smart trip card? The smart trip card, of course, is the plastic card that you buy to pay for your fares. I would say that it really depends on what your individual plans are. So as a resident, as someone who commutes every day, I have what's called the Metro Select Pass. Unless you're going to be here for a month, you don't need to consider that. Um, But if you are going to be here for a month, if you're here for a short term, um, or you're here for a couple months, it's a good option. The passes that your listeners probably are most interested in are going to be the the one-day pass. 
And there's also a seven-day. There's actually two different seven-day passes. So the the one-day pass is, I think, a pretty good deal if you're going to be traveling a lot. The one-day pass is fourteen seventy-five, and it includes bus. It's unlimited on the rail and unlimited on the bus, and you can get um, all the way to the end of the line if you need to go. But most of your, of course, most of your customers are probably going to be traveling just downtown. Uh, that if you're going to be taking metro or bus like five or six times in a day that pass probably makes a lot of sense. But if you're only going to be taking the metro two or three times or you're not going to be traveling a whole lot, it's probably cheaper and a better value to just put value on the card, just put stored value on the card and, and refill it as you need to. Um, and you know, you might be leaving some when you leave town, you might be leaving some on your card that you not that you don't spend, but, but that's okay. Uh, it just kind of depends on what your needs are. And just to clarify, when you say it includes bus, that's metro bus, not circulator. Right. I know that this is... Uh, something that your reader, your listeners probably don't need to know about in terms of the governance structure, but we have several different bus operators in the region. Metro is the agency that operates the trains, and it also operates a bus system called Metrobus. But the city of uh, the, the District of Columbia operates uh, what are called the circulator buses. There's a couple, a couple of high frequency routes, mostly in the central part of the city. Uh, those are not operated by Metro. They're operated by a different agency. The fare structure is, is different. You can still use your Smart Trip card to pay for it, but your Metro bus pass won't work on those buses. And then all the counties also have their own bus systems as well, but your your listeners probably aren't going to be using those systems as much. Probably not the county ones, but circulator people do use, and I think primarily because the National Mall route is very popular. But they also have a route that goes to Georgetown, which is a popular visitor destination. DuPont Circle is a popular place where people want to go. And so it's completely uh, separate as far as the operation goes. Um, the fares are different. It currently costs only $1 per ride, which is about half of what the Metro bus costs. Um, and then to add you know, confusion onto it all, you can use your smart trip, but you can't use your pass loaded onto a smart trip. So you know, with the one-day pass, I think you said five or six rides is where your break-even point is. And that's a lot of rides. Um, I, uh, you do use the monthly pass because you commute by Metro every day. I actually like to commute by uh, Capital Bike Share. Um, I don't every, every day. I sometimes use the Metro. But for that reason, I don't use a pass because for me, it's just not worth it. So like you said, it really depends on the individual and what they're uh, up to. And I would say if you don't worry so much about the money, uh, the, like I was telling Rob, when I go to New York, I like to get the pass just because I don't want to have to stand in line at the vending machine if I run out of money. Um, because New York's vending machines tend to be broken most of the time. Our vending machines are in much better working order than New York's. So if you do run out of money, just put some more money on it. And if you have some money left over, it's not the end of the world. We'll, we'll take your subsidy. And, you know, you can, I do, some people have asked me, what do I do? I've got 20 bucks left. You can donate the card to charity. Um, you can give it to a local. Uh, there's, there's options. You don't have to feel like you uh, wasted your money. Although, you know, um, I, I believe there is a, a system where you can request a refund from Metro, although I'm highly skeptical that they would actually come through uh, yeah, and deliver I, on that. I've never heard of that actually working for anyone. So I, okay. would, I wouldn't I wouldn't spend a lot of effort on that. So perhaps consider donating to charity instead of trying to chase down a refund over a, a small amount. But you mentioned two other pass options. There's two seven-day pass options. And I think people get confused when they see this because one of them costs $60. And it is for unlimited rides anywhere, no, no matter the distance, no matter the time of day. But, but only on rail. Only on rail. No bus on that one. And then the other one is called the Short Trip Pass. And that one is for people who are taking short trips. Um, and the reason it's called the Short Trip Pass is because you're only allowed to take a fare up to $3.85. 
And so if you uh, take one that's, say, $5 way out to the suburbs, what happens? Are they going to not let you out of the system? Well, that depends on if you have any stored value on your card. So if you if you bought the pass and you also put twenty dollars in stored value in the card, what it would do is it would take three it would take the first three eighty five and cover that with the pass value, and then it would cover the rest of that fare, which would be a dollar fifteen if it was a five dollar trip, out of your stored value. So that actually doesn't sound like that bad of a deal, honestly. And like you said, most people aren't going to be taking rides that long. Um, so like I was asking you earlier, how much would it cost to get from, you know, uh, Metro Center or somewhere near the White House to, say, the National Zoo, which is a few miles uptown? I don't know the exact price. That's probably a 225 rush hour trip or a $2 off-peak trip. It might be like 250 or 225 for the for the off-peak. I think you've made some convincing arguments for why you might want to get the pass. Uh, I think I typically recommend people not get the pass, but I think there's good arguments on both sides. Um, so how does someone actually buy it? Uh, when you go to the Metro machine, there is a button for pass, but what happens when you actually press that button? You know, I haven't bought a pass from a Metro vending machine in a very long time. My my passes are all done on online. Um, but basically, when you get to the, the fair vending machine, there's buttons where you can push... If you want to just add value, if you want to buy a new card, or if you want to add a pass. And once you add the pass, we click the add the pass button. There's different prompts for which kind of pass you want. And then you, you can pay either with cash or with card, unless the machine's only accepting one of those. Sometimes it's not taking cash or it's not taking card. So you have to watch the, there's a little digital sign on the top that will tell you. And if you need any help, there is a station manager in a booth. Um, sometimes they're out roving around a little bit, but you can usually get help from a station manager and Honestly, DC residents are used to tourists, and we're, we're, we don't bite, I promise. Most of us don't bite. So uh, feel free to ask someone. They're, they're probably happy to help. Although if it looks like in a hurry, maybe pick somebody else. Yeah, or if you stood in front of them on the left side of a metro escalator, then don't go asking for help because they're probably already pretty upset with you. Um, of course, if you have watched my videos about metro, you know that that is the biggest faux pas standing on the left side of a, a metro escalator. And I can guarantee you if you do that, someone will say something to you. And it might be me. <laughs> You know, another question that uh, people ask a lot is about getting to and from the airport. So we have three airports in the region, and one of the great things is that Washington uh, Reagan National Airport is very close to the city. Um, it's only a couple miles from the Lincoln Memorial, and there's a metro station right at the terminal, uh, and so it's really convenient. Yes, I always try and fly, fly out of Washington National if I can. Um, I can actually see the flight path from my, my apartment. Uh, it's very close to the city. Even in the terminal, you can see the Capitol Dome and the Washington Monument across the river. Uh, it's only about a 10-minute, maybe a 15-minute train ride, depending on where you're going in downtown, from National Airport to the city. And the fare is uh, a pretty cheap fare as well if you're going into the central city. So that's definitely an option, um, taking the blue and the yellow lines in. If you fly into my next choice after National would be Baltimore-Washington International Airport, or BWI as we call it here. Uh, BWI is... Um, not metro accessible by the rail system, but there is a Mark and Amtrak station that's close to the airport that you have to ride a shuttle bus. Um, on weekdays during rush hour, the Mark train runs every 20 minutes, and the fare, I believe, is $6. It might be $7 from BWI to, to Union Station. Uh, there's also Amtrak trains. Those also run about every hour, um, but they're more expensive, and they, they may be full if you're booking like at the last minute. Those I think those cost about $20 to, to take the train in. And there is also a metro bus that operates from BWI Airport to Greenbelt, which is at the north end of the Green Line. And that bus costs $7 to ride. Then you also have to pay the rail fare to get from Greenbelt into the city, which is, if you're at rush hour, is going to be probably about $6. And if you're off-peak, it's going to be closer to $4. 
The uh, third airport is Dulles, and that's the airport that I try and avoid the most because it's, in my opinion, really hard to get to, and I just, I'm just not in love with that airport. But Dulles is located in Virginia, um, and there is a, there's actually three bus options to get you from Dulles into the city. Uh, the 5A is a metro bus operated route that operates, also $7, and it runs express from Dulles to um, downtown. It makes one stop at Roslyn, uh, and some buses also stop at a, at a park and ride lot uh, that's closer in Virginia. Not all buses make that stop. That's a good option if you're, if you're flying into Dulles. It, it operates, I think, every 40 minutes. And then there are two other options. Um, there's a really cheap Fairfax County bus that operates from the airport to the end of the Silver Line, the Wheelie Avenue station. It makes some local stops along the way. And then the Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority also operates a bus that runs every 10 minutes from the airport to Wheelie Avenue station. That bus does not take your smart trip card. You have to pay cash or credit card at the airport to get a ticket to ride that bus. Um, and if you're going to the airport, you actually pay when you get off the bus at the airport rather than when you get on like you would for a normal bus. So we're recording this in 2018, 2019 by the time you're listening to it. And, um, you know, maybe if you listen to this well into the future, all of what you just said will be obsolete because Metro is scheduled to go all the way out to Dulles in 2020. Is that still the plan? Uh, I believe the scheduled opening is like late 2021 or early 2022. Okay. Well, it's it seems like every time I hear about it, it's uh, a year later or a couple of years later. So it, it is under construction. So it is actually making its way toward completion. And if you fly into Dulles in the next couple months or into the future, you will be able to see the construction very clearly from the airport and on your on your bus ride into the, into the city. But it's still a couple of years off before it actually opens. So is that going to change your opinion about your... Ranking of the three, once Metro has a direct seat from downtown D.C. to Dulles, will that bump it up to number two on your on your list? I don't know. It, it might. Uh, I think that it will be easier to get to and you don't have to change to a bus, but it's actually still going to be a pretty long Metro trip out there because the Metro stops in a lot of places, and actually the train will take longer than the current 5A bus does. Um, so if you live close to the 5A now, or you are, or you're going somewhere where the 5A goes, it's a pretty quick trip. Although it sits in, it can get stuck in traffic. But the train makes a lot of stops between Dallas and downtown, so it, it may not end up being any faster. And one of the issues that we're going to have is that because Metro schedules all the last trains to leave downtown at 11:30 on weeknights, um, and we and Dallas Airport is so far away that the last train from the airport is probably going to leave headed for the city around 10:30 or so in the in the evenings. Um, and that, that could be a real challenge because right now the bus actually operates about an hour, hour and a half later than that. I hadn't even thought about that, but that's a great point. And what about BWI? Are we ever going to build a, a metro, extend the green or yellow line out to BWI? That's one that I get every once in a while. I don't see that ever happening, but, you know, we can't really predict the future. But BWI is, is pretty far away. It's about 30 miles from downtown Washington, which is pretty far. If we were to extend a metro line out there, just to go to the airport doesn't make sense from a from an economic standpoint because there's not very much between the city and the airport. It's very low density, so the, you're spending billions of dollars to build a rail line that's going to have very low ridership. And there's already a commuter rail line that operates pretty high frequency and pretty high speed. The, the MARC train operates at 125 miles an hour between Baltimore, Washington Airport, and downtown. So you can the metro is not going to be going that fast. So you'll be building a, a more expensive more frequent but slower service to get out there and it's not going to serve very many other things besides the airport it really doesn't make sense to do that so i don't see it happening but i do think that if you you can't find a cheap flight to national and you can't get to dallas bwi is still pretty easy to get to with transit it's just a little bit harder than national and 
probably, in my opinion, a little bit easier than Dulles, but it, it depends. If, you're st- if your hotel is in Tyson's Corner or somewhere in Virginia, then Dulles may, may make a lot more sense. And uh, I do have a video with step-by-step instructions for using the Mark train from BWI Airport. So if you're listening and you're like, this sounds intimidating, check out the YouTube channel. And it's uh, actually very simple. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of people have uh, sent me messages and said it was really helpful. And they're glad that uh, they were able to use that to get into the city. Even my parents have used the Mark train to come from BWI when they come to visit me. So, And does that mean something? Are they not typical train riders? I mean, they, they've learned by coming to visit me a lot, they've learned to use the system here in D.C. Um, and one time they used the, the, the metro in Los Angeles when they were on vacation. But, yeah, they don't take transit very often. And I think one uh, thing to, know, to appreciate about BWI Airport it is, is that it is the airport for Baltimore. It, is, it was originally opened as Friendship International Airport, and they added the name Washington onto it in the hopes that that would attract business from Washington, D.C., and it worked. And now people think of it as a Washington, D.C. airport, even though it is actually a Baltimore airport. Yeah, it does, it does split their market between Baltimore and Washington, but BWI, I think, is, this, is now the second busiest airport in the region after Washington National. So it's, it's a pretty busy airport, even for, DC, for, the, for the D.C. customer base. Yeah, definitely. So the next uh, question that I get is sort of a curiosity, and I think you might have a good story to tell about this one. And it's about why you can't take the metro to Georgetown. That's such a popular spot, and yet if you want to go, you have to ride the circulator or you have to ride the metro to the Foggy Bottom Station and walk a mile to get there. So what's, what's going on with this? Well, there's actually a local legend that is not true that, that Georgetown was proposed to have a metro station back in the 60s when they were building the system, but that they fought against it and it was canceled. And that's actually not true. There's no evidence to suggest that metro ever seriously considered building a station in Georgetown. And the real reason is because the blue-orange-silver line that would be going through Georgetown on its way to Virginia uh, would have had to go very deep, because it goes, it goes underneath the river between Foggy Bottom and Roslyn, but because of the geology, it would have had to go very deep underneath, uh, underneath Georgetown, so it would have been very expensive. And at the time, back in the 60s and 70s, there was very little in Georgetown besides housing, row houses, not even like super high-density housing. Georgetown was more industrial than we know of it today. Like the, the whole area basically underneath the Whitehurst Freeway was, uh, was all sorts of industrial uses that really didn't have a lot of jobs. You know, concrete plants. There was like a coal, coal power plant down there. Um, I think at one time the city stored its salt, its winter salt for melting snow over there or something. Yeah. So the, the, it was mostly industrial uses. And Georgetown just was not the big destination that it is today back then. And I think if we were building Metro today, it would be an easy sell to get a station there. But at the time, it just didn't make sense. And the other, the other reason that, um, and if you really want to go into detail on this, there's a, a great book by Zachary Schrag called Great Society Subway, which chronicles not only the history of Metro, but sort of the, the push for enfranchisement and voting representation and home rule in the District of Columbia, which I will plug as a district resident that um, the, the citizens of Washington, D.C. are taxed, but we don't have representation in Congress. And in fact, Congress actually has dominion over the city. They can overrule our local laws, despite the fact that we don't have a seat in, in Congress. So the book chronicles all, a lot of that and talks about how George, the station would have been so close to the river that basically only half of the walking area within the station would be you know, half of it would be water and half of it would be, would, would be um, buildable area. And there wasn't a lot of room for, for growing density there. So it just didn't make sense. And that's why the metro doesn't go there. But there are proposals for a downtown relief line that's probably very far in the future. Like your children might be able to ride it or their children. Um, I was going to say probably your grandchildren at this point. <laughs> um, but that line likely will have a stop in Georgetown if it's built. 
But in the meantime, um, the Georgetown bid is actually pursuing an idea of building an aerial cableway between Roslyn and Georgetown that would provide a way to ride a sort of an aerial, like a ski lift, but enclosed across the river from Roslyn. You have a direct connection to the metro at Roslyn right across the river uh, and be very close to the center of Georgetown. And, and what you've just described, I think most people would think know of it as like the, the um, sky ride at Bush Gardens. Sure. I think you called it something much more official as a transportation person yourself, of course. So, yes, an aerial cableway, yes. Yeah, very, very interesting. But that's, you know, I have read the book. Uh, I did know that. Um, and so highly recommend the book as well if you're interested in Metro. If, if you've made it this far on the podcast, I think perhaps you're interested enough in Metro to check that book out from the library or uh, look for it on Amazon when you're over there buying the Tripex DC Guide to Washington, DC. But maybe in the future. Otherwise, until then, we have Circulator that goes to Georgetown, which is honestly pretty easy to use and quite and, convenient. And honestly, it's not that long of a walk either from Foggy Bottom or across the river from Roslyn. Um, I've done that walk many times, and I actually live in DuPont Circle, which is sort of the next neighborhood to the east of Georgetown, and I frequently walk over to Georgetown. It's not a bad walk. Yeah, and there's a lot to do. Like like you said, in the 1960s, Georgetown was a very different place, and now we have the Georgetown Waterfront Park, which is pretty amazing. We have all the shopping in Georgetown. We have the restaurants, and so there's there's a reason people want to go over there and why they wonder why it's uh, not as easy to get over there as they would like it to be. So I'm going to throw uh, sort of a tough question your way, and this will be the last one that we do on the podcast, um, because I know that this one is one that a lot of people have strong feelings about. And this one um, I get a lot from people who visit, and they think that Metro is absolutely amazing. They think it is the greatest thing they've ever used. And when they're here, they hear locals like you and me complaining nonstop about how it is terrible how it's the worst thing ever, and they wonder, what the heck is going on? Why is everybody complaining about this thing that is so great? So what is it about Metro that visitors love and locals hate? No matter what city you live in, the favorite local sport is complaining about the transit system. Whether that's Chicago or New York or Peoria, wherever you are, people hate the transit system. And it's because they have to rely on it every day. You come here and you have a glorious week or a couple days in Washington where you see the monuments and it's a wonderful experience, I'm sure. And you ride the trains and maybe there's a delay. Maybe it keeps you from getting to a museum on time. But for the most part, your trips are not during rush hour. They're not very long. And they don't, they don't take you very long to do the trip in the first place. For the rest of us, we ride Metro, some of us, every day. And when you ride every day, you're eventually going to have a problem. And human nature is to remember negative experiences more than positive experiences. But also, we're not going anywhere fun. We're going to work, or we're trying to go home from work, and we just want to be home. And Metro is the thing that's preventing us from getting there. So there are, and there's also those of us who've been here long enough to remember kind of the glory days of Metro when it used to be much more reliable and used to have better service hours and more the trains ran more frequently. Over the past couple of years, the service has declined a lot. We, they were, there have been service cuts to save money. And the, the ridership has gone, has gone down in response to that. The services run as late to provide more time for maintenance. And for a while there, the reliability had really gone down. Some of the, the old cars in the system had been operating for like 45 years, the, the original cars from the system. And they were just, they were just close to the end of their service life and they were, they were breaking down a lot. Those cars have all been retired now. So the new cars that we have are much more reliable and we have much, many fewer daily breakdowns. So it's a lot smoother now than it was even a year and a half ago. 
Yeah, I think one, I think that's a great point. You rely, you use the Metro every single day to get to your office. Um, I don't use the Metro all the time. I, like I said, like to ride Capital Bike Share, uh, which, you know, has its own hiccups every once in a while. But I guess because I'm not completely reliant on the Metro train, um, you know, when it does break down, it's not such a big deal to me. Although I totally understand. There's also folks who say, even if I don't use Metro all the time, you know, Washington, D.C. is supposed to be a world city. You know, we're the capital of the United States. Shouldn't we have a metro system that people uh, can be proud of? I think we do have a metro system that we can largely be proud of. Is it perfect? No. But it does connect this city, the people in this city, to a lot of destinations and to each other. Um, There are a lot of places you can go on the metro. And there are a few cities that I would rather live in and be transit dependent than D.C. Um, Chicago, New York are certainly places that have better transit systems than, than we do. But there's a lot of places that have worse transit systems or places that don't have really any transit at all. And those places are places where you have to have a car. And so I think that, yeah, Metro's not perfect. And there's certainly room for improvement. I'm the first to say that. But it's still something we can be proud of and something that we're going to continue to build on. And it's what, it, what it has done is it has changed this region. The, the fact that we have very dense transit areas. We don't have a lot of service parking downtown. We have shops and restaurants that you can walk between and, and get to easily. That's all enabled because of Metro. And if the system wasn't here, you would have service parking lots and traffic congestion and low density. And we would be much more like Phoenix than we would be like Washington. So I think that would be a real a real shame if we didn't have Metro. Yeah, I think this for me hit close to home when I was doing uh, collaboration videos with uh, Mark Walters, you know, the Walters World folks. And shout out to the Walters if they're listening to this. And, you know, these this is a family who has traveled the world. They've traveled extensively in Europe. Ridden all the public transit systems over there. And yet, when I asked, what is something that makes Washington, D.C. great? He said the Metro. And to me, I just was blown away by that because I figured, you know, when you've been on uh, the Paris Metro and you've been on some of the German trains, you know, how could you possibly say that the Washington, D.C. Metro is comparable? But like he pointed out, you know, he's from uh, Illinois and not Chicago, and there's nothing. There's no train, there's no Metro. And so when you don't have that, to have access to something like that is a big deal. So, Matt, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all of your knowledge about Metro. And uh, you mentioned earlier that you are a writer, you do some tweeting. Do you want to tell everybody how they can find you if they want to follow along with you? Well, probably the easiest way to find me is to go to greatergreaterwashington.org and look me up in the author section. Uh, I do write uh, occasionally for the website and I actually do a bi-weekly photo contest where I put five pictures of different metro stations up. And maybe after you come visit, uh, you can try your hand at seeing if you recognize any of the places that you've been. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter and I tweet at track29. That's spelled out, the word track and the word 29. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter if you're interested in, in hearing more about uh, transportation policy, urban policy, things like that, and or just the various goings on in my life. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.